Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The text for the sermon today is the Gospel reading from Matthew 6, 25 to 33. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, your people of little faith, pray that as we hear your word, you would send us your spirit and so increase our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come into church today, you see this beautiful display of the produce of the earth, the vegetables, the fruits, the flowers and other goods. We give thanks to God for the harvest. We give thanks to God for all the ways in which he provides for us day to day. But as you look at these displays, Did you know that there is more for your life of faith there than you may at first think? Because according to Jesus' teaching today in our Gospel reading, what there also is here is a powerful spiritual resource to deal with anxiety, a God-given cure for worrying, a means by which we of little faith can grow in faith. When Jesus looks at creation, at fruit and vegetables, certainly at birds and flowers, he sees something which can shift our focus in life, give us a different way of living. What our Lord wants to do in this teaching is to move our focus, to shift our eyes from ourselves to creation and to our Father in heaven. So that's what we'll look at each in turn today. First looking at ourselves, then looking at creation, then looking to our Father. It begins with looking at ourselves. The key word in this text is to worry or to be anxious. It comes up four or five times in these short verses, do not worry. So what about you? Are you a worrier? If you are, what do you worry about? What makes you anxious? There's no shortage of raw material, is there? Do we worry about money or health? Do we worry about our family, employment? Do we worry about the church? Jesus knows that worrying is a favourite human pastime. That's why he speaks into it this morning and he wants to free us from this life of worry. He's particularly focusing on the worries of day-to-day things of this life, food, drink and clothing. The reason he's focusing there seems to be because just before this he's been talking about serving the God of mammon, the God of wealth and possessions. And he says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth at the same time. It's impossible. Since you serve God, you are God's people, he says, therefore, you don't need to worry about these things anymore. Do not worry. On the flip side, we could say that our worries and anxieties in life show up the idolatry in our hearts. But what Jesus says then in this text is to look elsewhere. 
And the implication seems to be that this whole exercise of worrying is an exercise of looking inward. And this is our problem as human beings, isn't it? That naturally our eyes are fixed inward on us and our own circumstances. Left on our own, not only do we not look to God, that's down the track. We don't even look to others or creation around us very easily. Our eyes are firmly fixed inwards. One of the times I notice this is when I'm shocked out of it by something very serious that happens to someone close to me. I may be worrying and quite anxious about some relatively trivial thing in my own life and then something quite serious happens to someone next to me. And all of a sudden I'm shocked out of it. I haven't seen what's going on. My eyes have been so fixed on myself. So Jesus says, do not worry. But here's the problem. For those of you who are worriers, you know that one of the worst things you can say to someone who worries is, you shouldn't worry so much. Because now you're not just worried, but now you're also worried about being worried. And yet here's Jesus' words. He comes again and again saying, do not worry. And most people find in these words something more powerful than don't worry, be happy. Why is that? What's the difference? The difference is that you shouldn't worry about that. Don't worry, be happy that ultimately leaves you still with your eyes focused on yourself. Whereas Jesus wants to take our eyes off of ourselves, to look somewhere else. But that's where it begins, with us looking at ourselves. Where Jesus goes next is to get us to look at creation. And for me this is a bit surprising that the first step, Jesus says, in him freeing us from anxiety is to get us to look at what he's created. Specifically, he wants us to go bird watching and then to go look at a field of flowers. This is what he says, that when we're consumed by worry and anxiety in life, especially the things of our daily life, the first part of the remedy is to look to creation and to think about it, to meditate on it in a particular way. It's not the whole story, but it's an important step. And the imagery here that he uses is not just surprising and beautiful and poetic, but I quite frankly think it's funny. I think it's supposed to be. Here's what Jesus says. Just picture this in your imagination. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So do some bird watching, Jesus says. Generally, when you look out in creation, these birds have enough food to eat and survive. Not always, but generally, birds have food to live. And yet Jesus says, Look at the birds. Can we put it in modern terms? Have you ever seen a little bird driving along in a tractor? 
looking over his back shoulder, checking if the seed is going properly into the ground. Have you ever seen a bird getting up early at harvest time? Out there on the harvester trying to bring the crops in? Have you ever seen a little bird back at the homestead on the farm now? There at the sheds filling up the silos and the bags of grain? There with his little notebook keeping records? stressing out about how many bags per acre and what the wheat price is in the Middle East. This is the picture, I think. It's funny, it's quite absurd. It's meant to be to get through to us. This is what Jesus wants us to look at and think about in order to free us from our idolatrous anxiety over daily life. It's not the whole story yet but it is the first step. And Jesus says, if the birds don't do it for you, try the flowers. Consider, look, to the lilies of the field. There's something so beautiful about a field of flowers, isn't there? And Jesus has noticed this. He says it just doesn't compare with anything that we create in this world. He gives the example of Solomon, the king. Solomon who wore beautiful, colourful robes and probably precious jewels and a crown and he would have looked glorious. And yet, Jesus says, yet we know that there is beauty in a flower that is simply of another order. It's something else. A person during the week was reflecting on this and they told me the story of a person coming to their home who was a painter. And this person saw a beautiful flower growing in their garden with a vibrant colour. And the painter remarked, you know, in my studio, I could just never mix a colour quite like that. There's beauty in God's creation that we just can't replicate. Jesus especially points to the flowers of the field. But then here's the punchline. Look at those flowers. They don't toil and spin. Again, in modern terms, you've never seen a flower at a sewing machine trying to make itself more beautiful. You've never seen a flower going back and forth to the mirror changing outfits. A flower going from shop to shop trying to find something more beautiful. This is the picture and it is absurd, it is quite funny and it's supposed to be to get through to us because Jesus says flowers are here today, gone tomorrow perhaps. God makes them beautiful. So what about for you? That's what we come to next. Luther said on this text, that God is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers and the flowers our theologians and preachers. Jesus moves our focus. He shifts our eyes from ourselves and our worries to creation and how it works. But then comes what's most important of all. He moves our eyes from creation to the Creator and to who this Creator is for us. Up until this point, 
what we really have in some sense is some good practical wisdom. Any wise parent knows that when a kid gets worked up, just taking them outside can actually help into the fresh air. Most people know that getting out into nature, so to speak, it does help. It makes people feel better. But what Jesus' teaching does here is something different and unique then because it's about where he wants our eyes to go next. He doesn't want us to look at creation as an end in itself. He doesn't want us to look at the birds and flowers and just think any old thing. But he wants us to meditate on it in a particular way, namely, to let creation teach us about who God is for us. So as you look at the birds and how God feeds them, let that lead you to ask yourself this question. Are not you of more value than they? As you see the beauty of the flowers and thank God for it, let that lead you to ask yourself the question. Will he then not much more clothe you? God loves this world he has made. He cares for every single little bird and flower. But you, as a human being, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are made in his image. Of the rest of creation, God saw that it was good but only after the creation of man and woman did he say it is very good. But even more than that, when Jesus says, are you not of more value than they? In this little question is the whole gospel contained. Because for you who are disciples of Jesus, which is to whom this teaching is first directed, for you who are baptised and believed, there is an even greater assurance of your preciousness to the Father here because you are one of God's beloved children. He is your Father. He chose you from before the foundation of the world. He sent His Son for you and His Son shed His precious blood for you. He rose for you. He sent His Spirit to seal you into His family, to adopt you and He has prepared a place for you in His house for all eternity. If He feeds the birds and clothes the flowers like He does, but that is how valuable and precious you are to Him, how much more? Will he care for you in the concerns of day-to-day life? He's asking to trust him in this. St. Paul picks up a similar theme. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not with him graciously give us all things? So Jesus turns our eyes to our Father. That's why he concludes like this. 
Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. As I thought about this verse, I couldn't help but see a concrete example in our baptism today with little Rosanna. As Rosanna's parents bring her to be baptised, I would suggest in a very practical way, there you see a family seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll explain what I mean. Here's a little baby. I don't know Aaron and Kim that well, but I dare say they haven't got every detail about the rest of her life worked out yet. Now, parents do spend a fair bit of time planning for their children's future and making provision, and some of this is what we're called to do as parents. But there are a million things in a child's life that parents could try to plan for and arrange and worry about and in the end they are not necessarily in our control. I remember getting quite a shock when my wife was first pregnant we went along to the baby expo thing and among all the different stalls there here were these people handing me these leaflets which was something about trying to develop a long-term investment strategy for my unborn fetus. It's quite incredible to me. Now, is it wrong to open a bank account when your child is born? No, I don't think so. Of course not. But I wonder whether there might not be some spiritual wisdom in waiting till after baptism. Because what a wonderful thing it is to see Christian parents striving first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness for their child by bringing this dear little girl to the waters of holy baptism. Because this is where she does come under the reign of God in his kingdom. This is where Christ does share with her his righteousness. That's the first thing. God promises to add all the others as well. So he's taken us from looking to ourselves, looking to creation, looking to our loving Heavenly Father. So on this harvest thanksgiving, as this sermon draws to a close, may the birds and the flowers and the fruit and the vegetables continue to preach to you. May God's creation preach to you of your loving Father and his care for you. As you think about this, may God free you from worrying and being anxious about the things of day-to-day life so that we may strive first for his kingdom and his righteousness. In the name of Jesus, Amen.